What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. What's up, guys? This is PC, and you're listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Our guest today is Aaron Livingston, who serves as the activities director and the leadership teacher at Aloha High School out in Oregon. Aaron, how's it going today? Everything's great. How are you? I'm doing awesome, man. Thank you so much for being on the show here today. Well, I'm totally excited. Thanks for having me. This is so much fun. Awesome. And like Aloha, like it's just such a fun school no, to say. Actually, I have to say, I wish it were Aloha. It's Aloha. Aloha. It's Aloha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I look at it and I was just like, how fun is that to say that? Aloha. It's still fun to say though, Aloha. Yeah. It's still fun to say Aloha. I like to say Aloha at Aloha. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. We're going to start this thing off with a pop quiz. You ready? Okay, let's go. All right, your top five podcasts that you listen to. Okay, my top five podcasts. I love the Entree Leadership Podcast. I love the Global Leadership Summit Podcast. Uh, I listen to School Culture by Design with our friend Phil Boyd. I love um, Leading the Next Generation, uh, Tim Elmore's podcast. And then, of course, I listen to UPC and the Green Room podcast. Uh, Each morning, I listen to a different one. I throw a sermon in there every once in a while, too. And uh, yeah, I love my podcasts. I love it. Great list right there. Would you rather talk on the phone or send a text message? I think it depends on who it's to. So I like both. I want to talk to my bestie. I want to text real quick my husband when I'm coming home. Got it. Best concert that you've ever seen? Oh, best concert. Hands down. Michael Jackson. Bad tour. uh, Madison Square Garden. I was about 15 years old. Yeah. Amazing. That's incredible. Like, what? Oh my gosh. Like, you blew my mind with that answer. <laughs> like, that's like bucket list stuff right there. Yeah, I've seen some pretty awesome concerts. I was kind of a concert psycho when I was younger. That is so cool. All right. Next question Favorite season of the year? Uh, this is a tough one. I have a hard time with favorites sometimes. Each season has like its own awesomeness. So, you don't want to be a teacher and be like, summer, because there's no school and I get to brush up on everything and rest and whatever. Uh, I love being cold in the winter. I love fall because all these great new things are going to happen. So I can't pick a favorite season. I'm sorry. I can't do it. You're just happy to be alive. Mm-hmm, that's right. I, I love, love it. That's awesome. And the last question, your favorite hobby? Um, again, tough to pick a favorite. I'm a crafter. So I like to make things that I can give away to other people um, as a gift. Uh, I also sing. So that's, I'd say, a kind of hobby is that I sing. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay, so talk about your history as an educator and how you got to this point in your educational career. This is a fun one for, you know, every teacher to talk about, of course. So when I was in high school, I had a teacher named Dr. Bickler, and we, Dr. Bickler, and he smacked me in the face one day lovingly and said, Erin, you should be a teacher. And I said to him, oh, Dr. Bickler, I'm going to be a businesswoman. And I didn't even know what I was talking about, really. So I go to college, and for the first two years at Penn State, I didn't know what I was going to do. But by my sophomore year, I decided I was going to be an English major. And I've always loved Spanish, so I decided, why don't I major in Spanish as well so that I could kind of travel and have the best of both worlds. So I graduated from Penn State with a secondary ed English degree and a Spanish degree. I spent my junior year in Spain. So uh, when I came back to the United States and when I graduated college, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a teacher. I had a hard time student teaching with the adults. I loved the kids, but I didn't love the adults. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. So anyway, I moved my life from New Jersey out to Oregon. 
just with a friend from college who said you would love Oregon. And I moved to Oregon. And uh, after a couple of months temping, I decided that I would go teach. So I had my first interview at Aloha High School and I was hired to be a Spanish teacher. So for my first two years, I was a Spanish teacher at Aloha High School. And then uh, I had a good two years, but knew my Spanish wasn't where I needed it to be. I wasn't fully bilingual yet. So I went and I got a job at the American School of El Salvador. So I taught for two years at the American School of El Salvador. I taught English to rich kids who spoke English. Uh, so it was just like teaching middle school English, except for to like the president's daughter and like diplomats children. So I did that for two years and I got my job back at Aloha. And I uh, started teaching English and Spanish, and then I got my ESL endorsement, and so I was able to teach ESL for a while. And then 13 years ago, I was asked to be the activities director, and I was like, what is, wait, you mean the assemblies and stuff? And I had no clue of what all of that meant, but uh, I was kind of, you know, hand-selected for it. Little did I know, and I said yes 13 years ago. So I've been at Aloha High School for years, uh, two of which I spent in El Salvador, and I've been the activities director and a leadership teacher ever since. That is so cool, man. So like you've got, you just got like a wealth of knowledge and experience to draw from. Well, it's fun that I've gotten to do different things. I've, I've taught at-risk freshmen. I've taught sixth grade in El Salvador and eighth grade, which totally confirmed I'm not a middle school teacher. That is so not my thing. Um, and then I've taught all grades of Spanish and English and travel. And so, yeah, pretty fun. So obviously you're super busy with all the different classes that you're teaching and the activities that you're involved in. Give us like an overview of like a typical day for you, like if there is such a thing. Yeah, so a typical day is funny because I'm like a typical assembly day, a typical activity day when we're doing things at lunch, a typical like there's a dance this weekend. Like so, but I would say a typical day um, for me always starts out with hugs. So like I'm a firm believer in uh, I got to love you all and you got to know I love you. And so first thing in the morning as my kids, I walk around to every single kid and I give them a hug and I just ask them how they're doing. So my day starts with hugs. And uh, let's see, I teach classes. Um, my classes start with a student leading the class. So um, there's a schedule. They know it's their turn and um, they get to sort of either pick a topic from a list that I give them. So most of my classes are student led for the first 15 or 20 minutes because I believe that you have to practice leading if you're going to be a leader. So uh, and that's, of course, after we team build majorly and after kids feel safe and comfortable in the class. So um, another part of every day, my students do table talk. So I always have three questions on the board as I am taking attendance and just kind of letting them get settled. Um, maybe the first question just says, hi, how are you? What's up today? And then the second question might be about something we're talking about. Maybe it's about gossip. Um, maybe one is a real fun one that you would like, Phil, like if you were going to be in a rock band, what would you play or what would you do and why? So um, every day there's three questions on the board. Um, the kids, my, I want my kids to feel good with each other. Like I want to know them and I want them to know me, but I need them to become a team. And so I mingle them all the time. So that table talk is really important part of every day kids talking about something other than, I don't know, the subject matter. Um, another thing that's typical in a day, um, committees. So my students pretty much at any given time, I have 12 to 24 committees of students. So like groups of five, five or six kids. So, um, during Sparrow time, you know, there's the operations committee and there are five of them working on 
um, getting all the advertising out for our Sparrow. There's the assembly committee, totally working on the assembly. So all my classes always split into assembly, I mean, into committees at some point to make happen what's happening for our school. Um, encouragement, I would say, and listening is a huge part of every day because I'm like this big cheerleader for everybody. And so people come to me with stories or tears. You know, I might need to give a pep talk. I might need to tell somebody often that they need to step it up. And that's, that's pretty typical in every day. Um, yeah, I just try to be like the guide on the side in my class. You know, after they teach, I will kind of come in and like, you know, be vulnerable with them about what's true for me. Um, but yeah, I guess that's a typical day. I love it, man. That's so fun, man. It's like, a, it is a fun job. It's really fun. I, I love that. And so you kind of hinted around some of the things that you do. And I think a lot of times we hear all these people talking about what leadership is and what it looks like, but you're actually teaching it in the classroom. Like, what are some of the key strategies that you try to use to instill leadership in your students? So um, my definition of leadership really has to do with first, like getting to know who you are and like acknowledging your talents and the things that you have to like give to the world and like serve other people with. And so my intro classes are really a lot of self-discovery and just this team building. You know, I'm a really big fan of Pat Lencioni. So I love the five dysfunctions of team. And so I teach them about trust and how in my class we're going to build community and that you know, and kind of talking about like, how do you do that? You know, just talking about these topics, like what is integrity? What, what is teamwork? What is trust? What does it mean to have patience with people? How do you communicate? So a lot of like talking about the do's and don'ts of things, um, especially in table talk. I love that the kids know, you know, like lots of people know leadership. They, it's just the actual doing it. That's harder. So um, I'll make them make a list of like top 10 communication tips. And then they present it to everybody. And Again, they know, but it's just like doing the things that are hard. So a lot of talking around the kind of soft skill strategies. Um, other things, uh, let's see, that committee time is huge. I mean, we talk about how to build consensus. Uh, we'll do little lessons on how to problem solve or decision make. And then they're in these committees doing the real deal. So like, they have problems to solve all the time. And I joke around because they'll say, Michelle, here's a problem. What do we do? And I'll be like, that's a great question. <laughs> solve your problem. Come back to me and talk about what you think you want to do. And then I'll take, we'll take it from there together. But I always like to have them solve their own problems, come up with their own answers, and then run them by me. Um, so a lot of like figuring it out for themselves, I think, is huge. And especially because they're going to make something happen. So I think that's a big one. Um, each year I pick a theme for our class and for our class, you know, we have a mission. We're going to embrace, unite, and serve our school and community. But each year there's a theme that, I don't know, God usually gives me in the shower, my theme. And, uh, so this year, Pat Lencioni, again, this summer, I went on the ideal team player, hungry, humble, and smart. And, uh, I like to give the kids things that are like real world leadership, um, you know, books that are written or something that they can realize I'm not just like full of it and making stuff up. <laughs> so um, this year it's uh, uh, stay hungry, be humble, choose happy, and always hug. And Pat's Hungry, Humble, Smart is a part of that. We break down with self-assessments. What does it look like to be hungry, humble, smart? And then um, I get the kids, they get themselves to a really safe place. They assess each other. I would say it's a big part of their leadership learning is when we talk about feedback and how important it is to 
understand how other people see you because sometimes you come off in a different way. You do everything with love, all things with love. And uh, so, yeah, they're able to have really mature conversation, give each other feedback. Um, so I love like looking at real life stuff like that. Um, another thing we do, they self-assess a lot. Like I'm pretty much the queen of making them self-assess or take a look at what we did. How could it have been better? What would I do differently? That kind of a thing. Yeah. Lots of stuff like that. Like, I just want to, I want to come and be a student in your class right now. We have fun. Like you're rocking it. Building. Did I say that? A lot of team building, a lot yeah. of trust. And lots of times the kids, when they lead the class, have to team build and like lead a game or, you know, we have to laugh together. We have to love each other because, right, like we have to get to those points so that we can be honest with each other about how we can grow and add more value to the team. So, yeah, it's good. And oh, I'm a big one on uh, Simon Sinek's Find Your Why. Uh, I think that's a huge one that everyone, you know, there's, you can watch video and we do that little circle thing about why for you personally and then why for our leadership team um, is everything that we're doing, embracing, uniting, or serving here. So I love that. I love that too. So awesome, man. And so one of the other things that I know that you're heavily involved in is homecoming and you guys just rock that out. And I saw right. pictures not too long ago and like my, my, like every school does homecoming, right? But I saw your <laughs> pictures and I was just like mind blown. Like you oh, guys cool. totally, yeah, you just crushed it, man, with the decorations and everything that's going on. So tell the listeners a little bit about that process and what goes into making that event happen at your high school. So homecoming is like, I don't know, I feel like we're like the champions of homecoming, but you know, we got to stay humble, but like, we're like, woo, homecoming, we win. Um, I don't know. It was years ago. I want to say back in like 2012, we started thinking about like, why not just go really big? My school isn't typically a school. That lots of kids attend a dance. You know, maybe we'd have 300, 400 out of a school of 2000. We would just kind of have pretty low numbers. And so we started thinking, what if we changed things up and made this an event? Like, it's not just a dance, it's an event. And we started bringing in different vendors. And so basically, it, why don't we just go big and see if we can get more people to come and have huge, amazing decorations and transform our school? So we started doing that. And just each year, it gets bigger and bigger. So we drape the place. So just like a wedding gets draped, I, I hire people to come in and drape the place. And we order um, three airbrush tattoo artists. I get casino games in the house. Uh, but the really cool thing, I guess, which I didn't mention earlier, is that this all starts out with a student vision. So at the end of a school year, I put out there that we're taking presentations for homecoming. And the kids, uh, I give them a guide on like what we need because there's so many rooms to decorate that like you have to have your vision for the dance floor, for the food room, for the game room. You have to have your vision and pictures and a name and what you want this thing to be like. I'll typically have like five kids at the end of a school year present their vision. And then leadership gets to pare that down to three and we go out to the student body and we say, which one do you want us to go for it? After that, um, we just start looking around. Andersons.com, Stumps, um, amazing websites. Pinterest, of course, like helps make everything awesome. And so we start looking around at what are we going to buy? And then once all this stuff starts to come, my first committees of September are homecoming committees. And so in like, I don't know, a month and a half, two months, kids are building stuff, making stuff and we go on Saturdays now, so we'll go like three or four Saturdays before homecoming. I'll be here from 10 to 4 with kids. 
Um, you know, it starts out, you have like 20 people. I think I had about 150 kids on Saturdays building things. And so it's not just leadership kids. It's like anyone who wants to help out. The National Art Honor Society is in charge of a hallway. So that whole group of kids gets their installation taken care of. And it's just awesome. I mean, kids are, I, I want to give them a free ticket for working for like 10 hours or more. And so we have around a thousand kids come to homecoming now. Other kids from other schools want to come to our homecoming. Um, the whole cafeteria is filled with food and snack. Um, and then uh, there's dancing and photo opportunities galore. And just, you know, and again, we do all this. We go crazy and only half the school comes. So that's kind of sad. But other kids from other states hear about it and they want to come too. So that's cool. For sure. Yeah, I'm going to have to put that on my calendar for next year. Oh, you should totally come. It's so fun. It would be so cool. And some cool. of the teachers rock it. So, like, we had an Alice in Wonderland theme. We were Aloha in Wonderland. And some of our teachers, like, totally dressed up in Wonderland characters. And, you know, were part of the scenery, you know, as they were chaperoning. They just looked amazing. And so, yeah, I've had someone on stilts walking outside. I've had jugglers when it was, like, the big top. And it was Aloha, like the Cirque de Aloha. Just, yeah, some really cool stuff. So we spend lots of money, but we make it back and just a little, you know, we have to survive. Uh, I think the pride is the hugest thing. Like the kids love it. And it's like, we're known for homecoming. No doubt. That is super cool, man. And so one of the things that I love the most about you is your energy. And I mean, like you can just hear it in your voice when you're talking right now. And so you've always got the biggest smile on your face. And every time I see, I remember last year at CATA, you just walk up and you just give me this huge high five, you know, and like, I just love that. And so as an educator, you know, it's easy to be excited on the first day of the school year and at the beginning of the year and all that good stuff. But how do you maintain your energy level throughout the entire school year? So I love high fives, by the way. Like, I just think a high five is like goodwill in one quick moment. You know, like, like almost like you can't be mad at someone when they give you a high five. And so I'm a big high fiver. I really love what I do and I'm excited about life. So this is just like it oozes out of me and I'm, I'm glad for it. I just have a passion for kind of everything and everyone. And so that and I think it helps probably that I don't have children of my own. And so... Uh, I try to eat well, I try to get exercise, but really I just think like it's from waking up every day and I'm just super grateful to be here and I have meaning in my life and I love what I do. So I guess, yeah. Well, it's very easy. Yeah, it's very easy to tell that you love your job. Like there's no doubt about that. Um, you've worked in education for, I think, would you say 20 years now? 20 years. 20 years. And so what kind of advice would you offer to a first year educator that's just beginning their educational career? First year educator, I remember and like leaving in the dark and leaving in the dark, <laughs> going to school in the dark and going home in the dark. And I remember the custodians coming to my room and being like, go home. And I used to say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I just each day I was getting ready for the next day. So I would say, first of all, like find a mentor and like buddy up with somebody who can help you. And don't be afraid to ask for some advice and some help. So that would be number one. Um, my, my freshman year, I almost said. My first year of teaching, um, I wasn't very good, I don't think, at the classroom management and being a 23-year-old, five-foot, two-and-a-half little Spanish teacher. I remember I put a big orange sign up in the back of my room that said, don't get mad. And then I would have to look at it all the time. Um, that little love and logic book became my best friend of giving choices instead of being just like this crazy, angry person who is yelling. So yeah, like don't yell, 
<laughs> and uh, I try to find a classroom management expert and get some of their tips. I think another thing that sometimes first year teachers don't realize is you have to set classroom expectations and then you have to build community in your room. If you just think they're gonna come in every day and wanna learn from you, but they don't know you and they don't know who they're sitting next to and they don't know their name, that, that, that's not the best learning environment. So I would say that. Uh, and just kinda hang on and hang in there and have fun and don't take yourself too seriously, um, but to definitely get some help if you need it and build a team in your room. Kids will love to be in your room and they'll do anything for you if they feel connected, not only to you, but I think to their classmates. Too many kids walk in and out of rooms and after a year, they don't even know half the people in their class. I love that, like the relationship piece. Like for me, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Like you said, that, the totally. connections that they have with each other and with you. And I think that's so important because if you don't have that, like you said, they're not gonna care about learning. Yeah. And I think, of course, that overflows into the school. So when your classrooms are building community, then your whole school feels more connected um, than when you're just like, I have a good relationship with my kids. They have a good relationship with me. But I think super key to get the kids having good relationships with each other. No doubt. One of the things that I hear from students everywhere that I go is that their administration won't listen to their ideas, won't allow them to have input, you know, things like that. What have you done as a teacher to help make sure that your students have an active voice on your campus? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm really lucky. I work with an awesome administration. So my administration really cares about our kids. They really want kids to be leading lots of things. And so I'm happy to say that they trust like my class and my students and the ideas that they come up with and they trust me to, like my kids I feel like have that voice all the time. But every once in a while they get some like different idea or something that we've never done before that even I am like, oh, I can't say yes or no to that one. So um, when it comes to one of those, I sort of ask them a whole bunch of questions and I try to like figure out where some of the red flags or roadblocks are. So there's a school close by that does a survivor and the kids have heard about this, that students sleep over for a week and they eliminate players. And so my kids are like, oh, Miss L, can we do that? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because when it comes to sleeping over school for a week, like I cannot say yes to these things. And so I encourage them to think about what could be a red flag? What might someone just say no to? And for what reasons that are dangerous or things that um, the management, like the people who are like looking at what could be bad or go wrong. And then um, I start to have them just kind of figure out what are some answers to those questions? Or do you have a way to kind of retort that? And then uh, I have the kids create a proposal. So like an actual proposal with a why we would do this and what we want to do and what we would do around the red flags. And then my administration's great. They'll let them schedule a meeting and the kids will go in, two of them, five of them, present their idea. And then we take it from there. And, you know, sometimes it's a yes and sometimes it's a yes if. And sometimes it's a no, but they hear them and the kids definitely feel heard and respected and oftentimes get what they want, I would say. Very cool. That's awesome. You know, and I think it's so important, like you said, to play that devil's advocate and think yeah. about what are the negatives and be ready for those answers before you go in there. Yeah. Risk management. I mean, they have more to think about now than they ever have. Um, you know, and the kids like to do crazy stuff. Can we sleep on the roof? Can we, you know, they want to do some crazy stuff that like, 
that would be fun, but risk management probably will say no. So, you know, kids can't even swim in places anymore. Like you can't, there's lots of things you can't do anymore because of risk management. But I, I think that their voice, they feel like their voice is heard and uh, they get to do a lot of great things. And, you know, sometimes when they're told no, like that happens in the world, sometimes you're told no and it's okay. <laughs> That's great. So one of the things that I love about you is that you're the epitome of a lifelong learner. You've mentioned the podcast that you listen to. You're an active reader. And on top of all that, you're an active blogger yourself. And so tell the listeners about your blog, how you got started with it, and then where they can find it. So the journey to my blog is kind of a fun one. Um, my blog is called mygrowthcommunity.com. And I guess it's sort of an evolution. Um, so my students... I've been doing this for 13 years and I, you know, I have these amazing students and in my classroom, we have these conversations and we talk about being humble and we talk about how we're going to grow and our dreams and goals. And I realized one day when I was reading a Maxwell book that like, this is a growth community and not every high schooler gets to sit in a room for a year and some of them for four years and like actually be in a place where your spirit and like your your potential, like yourself is like growing all the time. And, you know, lucky for me that it's the same thing for me. And so my students would go off to college and they would tell me later, like, Michelle, I haven't found where I fit in. I haven't found my thing. I haven't found like a place like leadership where, where my purpose is happening. And I realized like, yeah, well, you probably don't have a growth community. And so thinking about that for a little while is a part of the evolution. And then, um, I just listen all the time to different podcasts. I'm reading things, learning things, and I'm always telling people about what I'm learning because I'm like super excited about it. And people usually end up saying, well, Aaron, when are you going to write your own or when are you going to do your own thing? And, you know, so then I go thinking about that. And then um, over the last couple of months, my friend Angela and I have started kind of co-mentoring each other. You know, you realize like, well, wow, if I want to get better, I have to meet with someone who I think is like better at everything than I am. So she and I started meeting monthly, and she's a great writer, and she um, basically would tell me, uh, you know, Erin, it's time you do this. Like, you can do this. And so I have this little social media phobia just a little bit. I think, like, for me, it's kind of weird to just say, like, oh, hey, read what I have to say. But I also realize that there's a lot of negative going on in the world, and what I have to put out there is pretty positive, and so I might as well do it. So that's pretty much where my growth community came from. And uh, I just want to add value to people's lives um, at the end of every podcast, not podcast. I want to do that too, by the way, Phil. But at the end of every uh, blog, I write a little growth work and I just challenge people to think about some of the things that I'm thinking about to try to grow and become better myself. And so that's mygrowthcommunity.com. And it's been a slow start. I'm not writing as much as I want to, but little by little. Well, it's hard to find the time. I mean, the truth is, as busy as, as you are as an educator and everything going on, like, it's tough to find the time, but it's great. Like, I love it. Like I said, I checked it out last week when you sent it to me, and I was just like, man, this is good stuff, man. Cool. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. When someone texts me or writes me and says, thanks, I needed that, or I'm struggling with that too, I mean, that's the best. So I don't even care if, like, two people read it or whatever. Like, it's just nice when a couple of people say, that helped me or that made me think. Sure. And so I've got to ask, do you have any aspirations to write a book? Um, I kind of always think about like, what, what is the book I would write? Like I'm so all over the place sometimes. So, um, so I don't know would be the answer to that one, but these things do cross my mind. I would just have to find a focus. And sometimes I think the focus is super obvious. Like the positivity thing is pretty much where I'm at all the time. So maybe. 
I think it, I think it would be a, a great idea for you to pursue that down the road for sure. Thanks. Like, I think it would be awesome. So I'll just keep that in my pocket with all the other little things. There, like you got nothing else to do, right? <laughs> so one of the, um, you're very active in another organization called the Sparrow Club. And like, this just totally fascinated me when I read about it. And so tell the listeners about that. And maybe one or the two of the stories of the impact that it's made on your community. Yeah. Sparrow Clubs USA is a really special organization. Um, started back with a story in 1992 when this teacher uh, couldn't afford the insurance, not couldn't afford, he like couldn't have the insurance because he just became a teacher out of school and his insurance didn't kick in yet. And his son had leukemia. So he's this little baby named Michael. He has leukemia and the insurance company was like, sorry. So this young man named Damien, who was a 330 pound seventh grader who was like picked on and put down himself, was a really great guy with a big heart. And he says to his teacher, Jeff, Mr. Leland, I want to help you. You know, I'm your partner. He gave him $60. He said, I want to help your son. So he gave him 60 bucks, which started this total, like everyone jumped on it. I want to help too. In four weeks, a bunch of middle schoolers raised $227,000. And this young man, Jeff, gets his life-saving transplant from his sister, Amy, who is my friend. And um, Sparrow Clubs was born years later out of that. So Sparrow Clubs asks kids, um, empowers kids to help the lives of children in medical need. And so Sparrow has been a part of our school for the last 10 years. We're in our 10-year anniversary this year. Very excited. And so we bring a kid into our school who's a child in medical need. This year, his name is Beckham, and he has a heart. He was born without a pulmonary artery. And basically, we tell the story of Beckham to our students, and we invite them to care about him and to be a part of his life by either serving the community or um, being a part of a fundraiser, buying a shirt, just like sort of caring and encouraging for this family. And we just rally around them. So I've seen for the last 10 years, my 2,000 kids come together in an assembly where sometimes, you know, the football players are crying and teachers are like, oh, Aaron, you're killing me with this, but it's so beautiful. And we just rally around one human being who needs our help. And it's just been, it's just a part of who we are now. Sparrow's like part of the heart of our school. We welcome these people into our family. Our kids do hours and hours of community service because they realize that their time matters, you know, like their heart to help matters. And the money that comes out of it in the end is amazing too. We've been able to give some families, you know, between probably five and $20,000 over the years. And uh, it changes their lives. And these families come back every year and they point at our students and say, you know, you help my child walk. He walks because of you. My child is, you know, been totally helped because you guys cared. And so it's just a beautiful thing at my school. Everybody comes together to help one little sparrow and uh, serve the community at the same time. So it's like endless. It's just a great, great partnership. So special. I mean, like what a cool, cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I've been on the board for, I think, six years now. And um, the founder, Jeff Leland, was the first person to deliver our assembly. And so knowing, like knowing that family, knowing Michael, who's in his 20s now and alive and well, it's just like, you know, when I talk about it enough, it just brings me to tears how special and how amazing that organization is. And then just how many lives get touched by it. You know, the students get inspired to serve the community. The family gets love and encouragement. Um, our school gets cleaner. The custodians love me that week. We do, you know, we do like a whole beautify Aloha on the inside and beautify Aloha on the outside. We make dog toys. We, you know, we just come up with all these little service things to do so that kids can get service hours. And then in turn, money goes back to that family. So this year, our sponsor is in an 
anonymous sponsor, but in different years, we've had different sponsors who help sponsor this. So it's great. So incredible, man. And so last question, we've just started a new semester, got back from a long break, and it seems like forever until spring break. And it's just an easy time of year for students and for educators to really just kind of get into the funk, you know? And yeah. so as an educator, how do you prevent that from happening at your school? So uh, we just are in finals week right now. So I would say everybody's like super stressed out and freaking out. So the first thing we're doing is winter formal is Saturday night and we have the fire and ice masquerade. So for the kids that will come to that, that's like, you know, a chance to let off some steam. And of course, some teachers are coming too. So that will be fun. And then on Thursday, we have our Sparrow Assembly. So it's a great way to jump into a new semester and then just bring this heartwarming story. And this baby is so cute. And everyone will just ooh and ah over how adorable he is. And then everyone will get in the spirit of giving. Um, and then our fundraisers start right away. So we'll have frozen yogurt for Sparrow. And when you bring frozen yogurt into school, like that is the best thing ever. So kids will come pay money for yogurt and fruit. And then we have these Don Cholito's burritos for Sparrow. So uh, we bring in these famous burrito, breakfast burritos for lunch and the kids pay more than they would pay if they went through the drive-thru. But to have that for lunch is awesome and that'll raise a bunch of money. So that gets people excited. Even the teachers are excited to have frozen yogurt or a burrito at lunch. And then also we have what we call Sweet Week. So Sweet Week is kind of like a doobie nice week or a kindness week. And each day is focused on friendship and gratitude and um, kindness and generosity. Every day we have a really fun freebie. So maybe it's a doobie nice sticker. Um, maybe it's chocolate and a little note. And we just invite kids to do something to get the sticker and then give it away. We invite people to give it away. So it's kind of like a pass it on kindness week. Um, we have free raffles that you can nominate your friend for. So just kind of a fun new thing to do in February when it's kind of Valentine's Day week. We have dress up days and we're just kind of promoting kindness and love all week. And hopefully that staves off the funk for a little while. For sure. So it's just nonstop. I mean, that's the thing. It's just like you're nonstop. Yeah. Lots of times teachers will ask after our big holiday stuff like, oh, do you get some downtime now? And I'm like, no, I don't feel like we get downtime. We got winter formal sparrow. We got sweet week. And then it'll go into like a diversity week and prom. Yeah, it's just always lots of stuff, but it's lots of great stuff. And I get to work with great kids to do it. So it's awesome. Super cool. Well, Erin, I saw Sarah Nillis last weekend at the, oh, Sarah. at the lead conference. And I told her the same thing. Like, you are incredible. And like the world of education is a better place because you're in it. And so I just can't say thank you enough, not only for just being a guest on the show here, but for everything that you do for kids and for our schools. Like, you're a rock star. Thank you so much. You know, I think the same of you. And it was totally an honor to be on the show and super fun. Thank you so much, man. Guys, you've been listening to the Green Room podcast series. Thanks so much for listening. Chase your dreams, kids. Uh -huh.